Football is back and so is the Ringer NFL show. Coming at you five days a week with wall-to-wall coverage from recapping the Sunday games, giving a player perspective, deep dives, and previewing the coming slate. Check out the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Group chat. I am Justin Verrier, and joining me today, the Bing to my Bong. It is Rob Mahoney. What's up, friend? You know, I really thought that today was going to be our first official meeting of the Mavericks Three Man Leadership Council, but <laughs> it, it seems like we don't have a quorum here. It's true. Unfortunately, uh, Big Waz is out. DNP flu-like symptoms. Uh, we pushed the pod back, hoping that we'd get him for game time, but. Unfortunately, he had to rush to urgent care. I told Rob this, and I don't feel ashamed to say it. I honestly thought he was just hungover. <laughs> so, um, um, well, the good news is he's never going to listen to this podcast. But if you do, get well soon, Waz. Sure, sure. Uh, and I'm glad that. I guess I'm glad that I was wrong, but I'm not glad that you are sick. Right? Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, on today's episode, we have one week of NBA basketball to parse through. Uh, and so what we're going to do is going to run through some of the early extreme outliers uh, from this week of play. Uh, basically, teams have done really well, teams that have done particularly poorly, just teams that were just overall like, oh, that's interesting. Um, we're going to s- try to figure out what's real, what's not. Uh, the first place to start, Rob, I, I don't think we can do anything else but the New York Knickerbockers. We're now three and one after absolutely toasting the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, the bing bong is just like <laughs> bouncing around through the streets of New York. I'm, I'm sad that Waz isn't here to celebrate this. Before we get to the team, though, the clip yeah. itself of yes. the bing bong clip, what an absolute all timer. We need to release the full interview with the bing bong guy. Like there's a quick cut right afterwards. <laughs> right. Give me the full bing bong cut. Yeah, the editing that they did on this video is particularly like sweet because like we've seen these videos before. There was one kicking around for the playoffs, I believe. 
last year. But just that guy cutting through, bing bong, <laughs> uh, just unmistakable. It reminds me a lot of the Chappelle show sketch of the guy who will just do the robot like spinning through oh, a sure. scene. <laughs> like that is what that guy is at at this point. Um, he's already catching on as a, as a pseudo celebrity. Uh, Dan Devine clued me in last night on his Twitter persona. Have Have you seen this at all? No, but can I get like a cameo from the Bing Bong guy? <laughs> oh, we're like a, a a step away from that. We're a day away from this guy okay. just completely trying to uh, take his five minutes and, and stretch it into ten or twenty. Uh, he was already reaching out to the barstool guys <laughs> to help oh, him out with some merch. Um, so we might have a, a real red sweater guy situation here where it's like sooner or later we'll find out that uh he's just like watching the entourage uh like the entire series once a week and (laughs) um, that's the worst thing you can think that someone would do well i I feel like it's it's a type of person um anyway about the bing bong nicks themselves uh what what surprised you most about the early start i mean i think there's a lot i mean for one julius randall in his one-man war against regression to the mean being pretty much exactly as good, if not better, than he was last season. I, I wasn't counting on that. I was thinking he might fade a little bit, that defenses might learn from what they saw in the playoffs uh, and his struggles there, but that has not been the case. He's been awesome for them in exactly the way they've needed and filled out this really interesting front court that, even without Nerland's Noel, has been really good. Yeah. How much do you think Randall's early success to this regular season has to do with the guys that they put around him? Because last year during the playoffs, we saw as soon as like you needed him to step up and be the go-to guy, there's just a lot of extra defensive attention and you can really play through that. Is it like, is it more the Fournier's? Is it more getting Kemba in there? Or do you think like he has done something different this season? I mean, I think it's probably the supporting cast. And really, that's the subtext of every playoff struggle to me is what is going on around them? What is the spacing like? What kind of help do they have? Is Alfred Payton their starting point guard? You know, I think going from that to Kemba Walker, just like professional grade point guard play, competence, getting into your stuff, being more of a shooting threat. That's a huge that's a huge difference. It's a massive difference in just like baseline execution for a guy like Randall. And so when you start from that place and you're getting Fournier, who's, you know, a, as good a shooter as what they had before and like a Reggie Bullock, but more dynamic, more flexible, can do a little bit more off the dribble. You can just see the complete picture there and how it would benefit Randall for sure. Right. Randall is looking particularly like just swole these days. Like he's, he's always been real, pretty swole. Yeah, but like this season in particular, maybe I'm just noticing it more. Like he feels very like the NBA's version of Big Papa Pump. Are you familiar with this wrestler? You totally lost me. <laughs> okay. The Steiner Bros, they used to be like wrestlers, but like the the less operatic version of wrestling. I guess what's the difference between pro wrestling versus just regular ass wrestle, wrestling? Uh they used to wear like the headgear. I could I could envision Randall being that guy like he almost plays like it too he's, he's he's a big like bruiser type who barrels through the lane I don't know this probably <laughs> lands with some version of the audience but well it's a I, secondary yeah. career if you know being an all NBA player doesn't work out for him sure sure there you go um but in addition to Randall I like like we were saying before like this team just seems particularly deep and they didn't really add much it just seems like the guys that they did add filled a void. I remember talking earlier this season, I was a little mixed on whether or not that they would sacrifice too much defense in the hope that they can get more offense from Kemba and Fournier. And Kemba actually hasn't given them much. Last night was probably his only really good game of the season. Um, But Fournier has just given them enough 
and you've seen it kind of trickle down. And now all of a sudden, like some of the young guys maybe aren't stars, but they just seem like solid players. It just seems like they're just deep and good. And in a regular season, that's going to win you some games. And not just deep, but their depth manifests in lots of different styles. Like all their guards mm. play a little bit differently. In their bigs, you have this wide variety, especially now that Obi Toppin is starting to kind of catch on and find his role with the team. That's just a, such a kinetic and uh, kind of up and down piece that they didn't have before. You know, he and Taj Gibson are just night and day in terms of what they're giving you on a basketball court. And so that you can throw all these different looks out there. It's really a reason why if you look down the Knicks lineup sheet, they have so many different positive looks, so many different mm. five-man combinations that are working for them right now, even though you know their starters overall have not panned out in terms of holding up their end of the bargain, but they're able to make up for it with the depth you're talking about. Yeah, I wasn't expecting Toppin and Taj Gibson, who I believe is one of the oldest players in the NBA, to be leading some sort of like second unit, seven seconds or less, like get the ball, rip and run sort of style. Uh, but it's been really fun to watch. Are you surprised at all that Toppin has kind of like found his footing? Because I think there were big questions last season, in part because I think the, the front court was a little jammed up with a bunch of bigs, but it didn't seem like he really knew where he fit in the rotation. It didn't seem like the Knicks could really find spots for him. But but it seems like this is a pretty ideal role for him. Well, he's exactly the kind of draft prospect you worry about, which mm. is very athletic, big, coming in with uncertain floor and shooting game. You know, I, I just have flashbacks of like Derek Williams in my head. I'm like, is, <laughs> it, you know, is Obi Toppin going to be able to do more, to produce more, to fill more of a spot? And like his shot has come and gone. He's had some opportunities to, you know, take some attempts from the corners. Who knows if that's going to be part of his game or not. But if he can be this kind of player who's just able to give them a little bit of juice, especially off the second unit, that could be a really sweet spot for him. Yeah, juice is the perfect way to put it. He definitely gives them a spark. And I wasn't expecting that from last season. Um, I guess we'll see what happens when Nerlens Noel comes back. It seems like yep. uh, his return is imminent. So maybe his minutes kind of go for go away from, from Toppin for a bit. But I don't know how you take them away from him at this point. Uh, and I, I wonder if he can recreate what he's done over the first four games with Noel kind of being next to him. But overall, the young guys, it just seems like they have all of a sudden a lot of guys with upside. Uh, Barrett taking moderate steps forward. Still not like a star level offensive player, but like seems solid defensively, which I know he talked about coming into the season is one of his goals. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, another guy who's just stepped into the starting lineup. I know the data on him hasn't been particularly good, but like, just seems like they have, they're not static anymore. You just expect the, the Knicks for the longest time to be bad and to keep being bad. seems like they're good and they can actually get better over the course of the season just by internal improvement. It's a great point. I think Barrett is case in point of that where I think his defense is better than solid. I think he's made incredible strides already. He's been out there campaigning, saying he wants to gun for an all-defense spot this season. That might be a little <laughs> ambitious, right, but right. I, I, I like where his head's at in that, and I think he could be the kind of player who has that upside swing for them, along with Emmanuel quickly, you know, along with Obi Toppin, potentially, if he can expand his game in a longer term. There's, there's enough here to like beyond the veterans, especially if we're talking about what could change with this team between now and the start of the playoffs. I think there's a pretty realistic scenario in which R.J. Barrett is just demonstrably better than he is right now. I like how all defensive player has become kind of a goal for anyone who really wants the signal that they really want to like do this right, that they really want to try hard. They really want to be a team player. It's kind of like someone being like, I don't want to win an Oscar. I want a SAG award. I want to win best ensemble with you guys. Um, but real or not real, do you think this is going to continue throughout the season? Well, what are we, what are we considering continuing? 
Well, I think the expectation for them is they would have been good, but not great. Do you think that they can be a top four team in the East by season's end? I do not. That's no fault of them. I just think ultimately the Nets are going to get their shit together. The Bucs are already very good. I have a lot of faith in the Hawks and the Heat. And that's before we even get into, you know, like what happens if the Sixers start clicking? What if the Celtics pick it up? I think there's just more teams with more going on than the Knicks. But I do think I probably undersold them coming into the season as a team that is more firmly in that next tier than I would have had them personally. Right. You never know if Kemba's going to get hurt. It seems true. like seems like he was a little shaky to start the season too. I don't know how much that's injury. It does seem like he's taking more outside shots too. Maybe they just need that as a team, but maybe he's a little bit more hesitant post injury. I don't know. So I I think you bring up a good point. I might say it's real simply because they seem like a very good regular season team and Tibbs is nothing if not a grinder in the regular season. So I could see them just racking up wins, getting home court advantage again. Totally plausible. Yeah, quickly though, before we get to some of the other teams on our our list, the other team last night, the 76ers, (laughs) oh boy. Did not look good. And if anything, it got worse after the game because Joel Embiid is starting to say things that signal he might be more injured. Uh, his his knee might be more injured than he's letting on. Are you concerned? Is, is your concern for the Sixers real? I mean, I think it has to be. Anytime right. anyone mentions anything about Joel Embiid's health, anytime he takes any particularly hard fall, you have to take that seriously because there is no safety net anymore. <laughs> this is one superstar standing on the top of the building And if he falls off, this team is going to go into free fall mode really quickly. Like they have enough supporting pieces to be a good playoff team, even without any return for Ben Simmons, I think. I think they get Joel Embiid is that good when he's fully healthy. But you've got to get him at full strength. You got to have at least one of Seth Curry and Furkan Korkmaz hitting shots on a given night. Like you have to have some other things swing in your favor that absolutely did not in this game against the Knicks. Yeah, I don't know what this means for the Ben Simmons sweepstakes. Like, maybe this accelerates things because they need another star just to take on, like, the burden, kind of like Russell Westbrook is doing with the Lakers, especially last night without LeBron James. Uh, Just someone to get them through the regular season. On the other hand, like, if Embiid is hurt and is significantly hurt, I wonder if this means that we have a full season of this to to track. Well, not just one full season, four full seasons, according to Daryl Morey, Justin. (laughs) Oh my, what absolute horseshit that was. Like, did anybody believe that when he said that? Sometimes you just got to throw stuff out there, you know? Right, right. And Daryl is nothing if not that guy. Um, So, so respect. Uh, All right, let's move on to the later national game last night. And this one, Rob, is in particular for you here uh, because you wrote a glowing preview profile of Michael Porter Jr. going into the season about how much upside he has, especially without Jamal Murray there, how all of these fantastic shooting stats that put him among the league's best, uh, particularly for his age. And he has fallen flat on his face so far. I have down here what's real or what's not MPJ fraud. Because <laughs> okay. Okay. 11.5 points, 5.3 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 35% shooting from the floor, 32% shooting from three and seven attempts. Uh, yikes. What's happening? Yikes, yikes is right. Yeah. You know, it, Michael Porter Jr. has very quickly become Michael Malone's totem for everything that's been going wrong with his team. Uh-huh. You know, get, gets a quick hook from some of these games. He's kind of a symbol for guys who aren't following through on possessions, guys who are not committing defensively, guys who are not running the floor to the corners, which was a big emphasis starting in training camp for this team. Get to the corners, like get into your spot in the offense and we can flow from there. On top of the fact that he's just not making shots. So some of that stuff is going to change. Some of it may not. Like, this is the risk when you lose someone like Jamal Murray and all of a sudden all of this pressure 
falls on Michael Porter Jr.'s shoulders, a guy who has never done that for that long at an NBA level against teams that are scheming for him with that level of scrutiny every night. He has a lot to prove. He has a lot to show even before we get to the playoffs and whatever they can do there. What is he going to be for them in these first 82? Yeah, and last night was a prime example of you would have loved for him to just step forward after that Jokic injury that took him out for the second half. I just like didn't know where he was most of the time. If anything, yeah. it was Will Barton stepping to the forefront and, and trying to fill it up. Um, is it just like he's not asserting himself, Porter, or like is it not shots not falling? Are they not like going to him enough? What do you think it is? I think he's in that that nebulous zone where he fades out of some possessions and then the ones he tries to exert his influence on are too overdetermined. Mm. And so then you get into the worst of both worlds, essentially. But, I mean, if you don't have Nikola Jokic on the floor, you're not going to have all of your normal flow stuff anyway. You're not going to get the same quality of looks. That said, the Nuggets have been so bad without him. So bad when they've tried to go with just Porter and they've staggered that some, or they've had minutes with neither on the floor, which are just a disaster. Like, this team is just not deep enough to accommodate that kind of thing. So Porter has to be good. If if nothing else, in the minutes where he can get a lot of shots up without Jokic out there. I'm already starting to hear, like, where are the Bones Highland minutes? <laughs> so, like, it's, it's getting dark. Oh, no, th th that started a long time ago. That's preseason noise. We're now getting into the echo of the Bones Highland uh, <laughs> clamor. This is the Bones backlash of the backlash. <laughs> I mean, it's just so funny how every Nugget season plays out the same. Like, the Murray wrinkle is, is a little bit different, but it's always like, oh, is this team going to pay the luxury tax to, to pay all their guys? Uh, is is this player, this young player going to step up? Is Michael Malone going to play this young player who's who's showing that he probably deserves some more minutes? It's particularly why like, I, I respect the Nuggets. I think they're a very good team. And when they're clicking, they're very fun to watch. But they kind of just like fade down my league pass style most of the time. Well, I think to your point, it just gives us more reason to respect Michael Porter Jr. carrying the torch of Jamal Murray struggling <laughs> at the start of every season. This proves he can be it's the true. Nuggets' true number two guy right now. That's a great point. Um, all right. Uh, someone who, a young player kind of taking a leap as opposed to perhaps taking a step back here. One John Moran taking just leaps and bounds, my Oof. friend. All of a sudden looking like probably if we were to give a first week MVP uh, would would definitely be at the front of that list, if not the, the clear cut winner. 35 points, eight assists, eight for 18 from three, which is particularly big. Uh, already like after a loss to the Lakers, which is a very close game and which he scored 40 points uh, already like taking photos from the free throw line saying he needs to get back in the lab. It's a little bit much, but like I respect it. And like his play at this point is, is all that I think really we need to talk about here. Which He's been fantastic. Well, especially since Waz isn't here, I feel like we need to speak on his behalf after he's mm. been feuding with Memphis Grizzlies fans all week. <laughs> But his his assertion that, I mean, I don't want to misquote him or mischaracterize him here, but basically that the Grizzlies are John Morant and a bunch of guys. A bunch of, <laughs> you know, I would say good, not great players, which is why mm. we keep looking at our watches and wondering when Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to ascend and make his leap to be kind of the second star they need. But otherwise, they have lots of, of really nice supporting talent. It's just, is that enough? You know, if Jaw is going to be an MVP level player, is it enough to just have good supporting role players. Um, maybe it is. I mean, frankly, I'm not sure there's anyone out there who can stay in front of John Morant right now. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't know if you watched the uh, the Sixers-Thunder game the other night, but Matisse Thibel was trying to guard Shea Gilgis-Alexander and just like 
could not figure him out. <laughs> Couldn't figure out like the counterintuitive movement to Shea's game. And yeah. Ja has some of that, but it's even more explosive. It's even, you know, even more explosive going to the rim. And so how you deal with that as a perimeter defender, I don't know. How you deal with that as a rotating interior defender, I don't know. Uh, but I'm sure lots of coaching staffs around the league uh, would love to figure that out if you, if you listeners have any ideas. How little do you think of my social life that I was, you think I was watching the Sixers take on the winless Oklahoma City Thunder? <laughs> I would like to think that I think that much of your professionalism. Hmm. Well, you think way too highly, my friend. <laughs> Although I, I have been keeping an eye on our friend Josh Giddy, uh, who like didn't he flirt with a triple double in that game? He's had some some really good moments. Looks really fluid. Yeah, he was he was trash last night, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but like on that team, you kind of just blend into the background there. Um, is is this a little soon to like be foisting expectations onto the young Grizzlies? Like we're not even sure that Ja is indeed like an MVP. Let's just even say All NBA level yeah, down, yeah. hasn't made an all-star. Like, I, it seems like a little too soon to start nitpicking about Jaron Jackson and some of these other guys around him, no? Yeah, yeah, let's go step by step here. Like, let's wait till he can make an all-star team or at least prove that he can sustain at that kind of level. I think he's been really close already. But, you know, with this kind of play, he's firmly in that category. Let's see how that holds up over the course of the season. Let's see how defenses start to adjust to him over time. Right now, honestly it feels like he's kind of moving defenders more than before, physically bumping into them, pushing mm. them out of the way, um, keeping his balance and, and just kind of patiently going up to the rim, which is new. Obviously, he was an incredible athlete uh, with incredible agility. But if he can go through defenders as well, especially some of these like fringier stretch four types who are now masquerading as fives, <laughs> I mean, he's going to toast a lot of NBA lineups out there. Mm. Uh, the shooting, do you think it's real? Because that's been one of the bigger discussion points about him. I'm waiting and see. I, mm -hmm. I mean, frankly, after this many games, I'm not sure we should say anyone's shooting is real who hasn't shown it previously. Like, we need to look at the priors. And the priors with John Morant say, it's a little up and down. It's a little yeah. come and go. And when he hits, he's unstoppable. And when he doesn't, all of a sudden, the Grizzlies, you know, you have a way to contain them pretty easily. Right. Do you think that is what he needs in order to take the next step from, like, I would say All-Star is in his future, if not this season, yeah. then definitely next and the seasons to come. Like, is that the, how he gets from good to great? Well, that's the correction I think we can take from these first few games is we're starting to see a more complete picture of what all-star John Moran looks like beyond just mm. him popping in a playoff game, him, you know, showing up in this game or that. He looks like a different player right now. And if this is who he is, if this is how he can read the floor and navigate it, he's going to be formidable for a long, long time. Uh, there's already a lot to believe in there in terms of his instincts, in terms of his ability to play off the ball. Um, obviously, just his ability to fill it up as a scorer goes without saying. But if he can add some of that shooting, if he can add a little more nuance to his passing game in terms of, you know, right now it's like jump in the air, make incredible reads before you hit the ground and profit, which is not a bad strategy <laughs> sure. if you're John Morant, but there, there could be a little bit more there there. Right. Well, that begs the question, my friend Robert. Uh, he was taking second in the same draft where no, one Zion Williamson on. went number one. I think it, it's a fair question to ask at this point, especially considering Zion's injury history. I mean, Zion's been incredible when he's been able to play, but like, man, it's something every year now. I think we're officially into danger zone territory if we're talking like redrafts and drafting <laughs> every player in the league with Zion You're Williamson. You're avoiding the question. No, I, I think it's valid. Um, yeah. 
but we didn't know it then. Like the Pelicans didn't know it then. No, no one knew it then. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't fault the Pelicans for taking Zion. Every team in the league would have taken Zion first. But now, do you are you higher on Jaw's future or Zion's? I mean, I I'll bet on Jaw just as a safer bet. Mm. Again, this is this is more to do with me. This is me being incredibly <laughs> risk averse. Sure, uh, but it's it's especially tough when you're talking about your superstar, and it's just like we were talking about Joel Embiid. If your best player has that kind of injury rep and injury history and consistency of just like picking up things and being out games, it's just very hard to stabilize your whole operation. Mm-hmm. And I mean, co- contrast that with what the Grizzlies have been able to do with John Morant, where they have incredible momentum as a franchise. They've been able to find other guys in the draft. They've been able to piece this thing together to a point where you can see a future for this team where they are contenders, where they are getting whether it's one more star in the door or one of these guys develops into that or Jaron Jackson Jr. turns out to be incredible, you can see the vision of of what that could be versus, I mean, the Pelicans are just a disaster on a regular basis without Zion. We all know how great he is when he's on the floor, but the the unpredictability of that is is super dangerous. Yeah. I don't want to defend the Pelicans organization because Lord knows there's just like reams of audio data to suggest that that isn't really my corner. But like Zion, by all accounts, from day one has had no misgivings over throwing his weight around like a superstar. Doesn't seem like they've run into any issues like that with the Grizzlies. I think that's important, especially considering the markets that you're playing in. Like you have to worry to a certain extent about the guy and like whether or not like he seems like the type of guy who will want to stay long term. Zion just doesn't seem like that guy. Well, and so long as we're talking about these two franchises, the Grizzlies haven't really missed Jonas Valanciunas in the way that I thought they might. Steven yeah. Adams has come in, picked up the slack immediately. Frankly, they haven't missed Dylan Brooks all that much, who's been out with a broken hand. And that's in part just because Desmond Bain and DeAnthony <laughs> Melton are nuts. They're absolutely nuts right now. They can't miss. They're playing great. And this is what the Grizzlies do. It's just kind of a plug-and-play operation there. They have so many val- like valid NBA players and so much like a, such a good base of NBA talent. That's what makes them so interesting as a team that could be a contender down the line, a team that could be you know putting together trade packages for guys. There's just a lot of appealing players on that roster. They've drafted spectacularly well like they and i think the the big difference is they didn't split the baby they had no uh they didn't really signal that they were going to try to win now and then bring along the young guys later it just seems like they were just all in on building for the future and taking incremental steps whereas the pelicans were doing a little bit of both at once um d'anthony mellon i gotta say i was talking to someone about this the other day is there a wider gap has there a wider gap ever existed between a player's public perceptions and what the advanced stats say about him? Because you talk to anybody who has ever been to the NBA.com stats page, they think that DeAnthony Melton is like, uh, I don't know, the next Zion Williamson, <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> just superstar player. But like, I, I bet you the casual fan has no idea about him. So you're insulted when I ask you about a Sixers Thunder game, but you're out here having <laughs> backstage conversations about DeAnthony Melton. It's so ridiculous. For the record, D'Anthony Melton, the if you know, you know (laughs) all-star. Unimpeachable. Great player. Great talent. I love him. Uh, It's true. It's true. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. 
But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Now let's flip to a team whose superstar isn't getting as much support. Uh, Damian Lillard made a big show of things going into this season about how much he was behind the organization, behind Portland, wanted to stick it out and at least see how things go. Uh, there were some signs of progress around game two when they beat the Nets, but they got absolutely obliterated, the Trailblazers did, against the Clippers. I believe it was a 30-point loss. Uh, the big question, as it always seems to be in Portland, what the hell is going on with this defense? Can you make sense of like whether or not... like? the bad returns from their defense so far are going to continue on. Well, we have new problems now, Justin, the, the old <laughs> right, system, is, the old system is out. Now we're playing a more aggressive pick and roll scheme. Uh, stop me if you've heard this one before, but the starters have actually defended. Okay. Everything else has been kind of a disaster. Um, and even within that, I don't know that Yusuf Nurkic has been totally on top of it. I don't know that yep. Rob Covington has had that many very good games yet. The fundamental problem there though, is, you know, we, we tend to focus on bigs when we talk defense, but Damon CJ played under one coach and basically one system up until this year. It's going to take them time to figure out the exchanges now that the Blazers are playing this different style. You're just going to have a lot to pick up, a lot of dropped coverages, a lot of dropped assignments in the meantime where both guys accidentally flock back to the same mark. That's just the way it's going to go. You know, I, I think this is going to be a longer term process for them. And the entire premise of the Blazers, in a lot of ways, is is predicated on the idea that Yusuf Nurkic can be something closer to a kind of star than a role player, and woof, that has not been the case so far. Are you saying that the Bosnian beast is no longer a beast? What what is he? What is what sub beast? <laughs> Human, I guess. Like, <laughs> he's just a mild mannered center at this point. Do you think their issues are one of lack of coordination, lack of familiarity with this more aggressive scheme that's probably asking a little bit more of them? Or do you think it's more of a personnel issue trying to fit into the scheme? Well, in theory, some of their personnel should be better suited for it. Mm. And I think they're also doing themselves no favors on the other side of the ball where 
the Blazers just cannot survive having a below average offense, which is where they are right now. This was a team that was second in offensive rating last season. They kind of need to be in that range if they're going to be competent. Uh, but here's what's happened since then. Damian Lillard cannot make a shot. We can talk all we want about super, you know, the support he's getting. We're, we're recording this before they played the Grizzlies on Wednesday night. He's shooting 8% from three. <laughs> Two for 24 for three. I mean, that's going to change, needless to yeah. say. Uh, the, the aforementioned no-shows on offense from Rob Covington. Nurkic hasn't been much better than that. They also lost their top bench scorer in Carmelo Anthony and are basically giving all his minutes to Nasir Little, who yeah. that should help you a little bit defensively. Like, Little can guard. He's flexible. He can, he can check lots of different kinds of players, which I think is helpful. But when you're already having these struggles, getting everyone on the same page, as you mentioned, getting everyone familiar with this new system, marginally upgraded defensive personnel is not going to pay off just yet. Like, you really need to be locked in to get the full benefit of what it is that Nasir Little does, for example. Right. This seems like what I feared with the Knicks. It's coming to fruition a little bit more with the Blazers, where they wanted to be a better defensive team. But if anything, it's just made them a little bit worse on offense. And now, Norm Powell hasn't been there. And so, like, that definitely is going to skew some things, especially over a three-game sample. But, like, I'm just looking over the roster. I'm like, where is the improvement going to come from? I guess you just hope that Lillard is going to play a little bit better, that they could work Larry Nance Jr., the uh, another internet darling along with the Anthony Melton the if you know you know all-star team already assembling before our eyes uh, it's just like why why is this team going to be different than last year or the year before or the year before I, I I can't really come up with a good reason I don't think they will be meaningfully different I think it's ultimately going to kind of come out in the wash similar to what we saw last season but they have a long way to go to even get to that point like I mean for one thing they're just like punting away possessions in transition right now. Really yeah. sloppy running the floor, looking like a team that just doesn't know where everyone is supposed to slot in yet, which is kind of weird because although we've been talking about their roster changes, they didn't change that much. Mm -hmm. Like they swapped out a couple of bench guys. And while that makes a difference in certain lineups, makes a difference, again, as you're acclimating to a new system, you would think these guys know how to run the floor. You would think they would be able to piece together, oh, Damian Lillard is there. CJ McCollum is there. I need to run down the gut and catch and dunk or flare out to the to the wings and spot up for three, whatever it is. They just haven't gotten there yet. And you, you would hope that at some point that kind of easy stuff is back on the table for them. But I was told that it wasn't the roster that had more to do with the scheme and the coaching. Are you telling me that I'm wrong? Well, this is actually the deepest Blazers team in years. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> I have heard that. Um... Actually, relatedly, uh, where are you on Simons? He's been a little bit better this year as, as the primary backup. He's fine. <laughs> right, right. I, you, know, you know what happened? I feel like Jordan Poole is the player that Anthony Simons was promised to be. Jordan Poole market corrected him? Yeah. He, he took that spot. He is exactly <laughs> the kind of player I was told Anthony Simons was and just like yeah. has not really panned out yet. Um, he's fine. I, I have no qualm with Anthony Simons, but... He's neither a solution nor a problem there. <laughs> uh, remember that summer league when Anthony Simons was on the rise? That was fun. We all have our moment, you know? You just got <laughs> to seize it when it comes to you. Sure. Speaking of seizing your moment when it comes to you, there's a transition for you. Uh, the Hornets. Woo, boy. Woof. Just, just love these guys. Just like just a, a barrel of laughs, a barrel of joy, whatever you want to say. Uh, in particular, Miles Bridges has just 
come on strong this season. He's basically, I've been saying, the player that the Hornets are paying Gordon Hayward to be, which is not necessarily a knock on Gordon Hayward because I know you're going to tell me, oh, he it does sounds all these a little like a knock on Gordon he, Hayward. Oh, he's so subtle. He do, he really connects everybody on the floor, yada yada yada, and he does do that, and he's actually pretty good at that, and I actually respect him a lot for that. But he is moving like fucking Jamal McGlure out there sometimes. <laughs> like I, that's he just, just like, not true. That's just not true. <laughs> he runs the speed of just like. Uh, 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 I don't know, a hatchback. <laughs> a professional athlete, I would say. <laughs> yeah, okay. But Br- Bridges, on the other hand, just like b- has become the basketball soulmate for LaMelo Ball just before our eyes. Um, the shooting has been real. Uh, just just his, his play around the basket, just being able to move up and down the floor. Obviously, the dunks have always been there, but they're even more just emphatic nowadays, the 360 against the Nets in particular. Um I expected Bridges to be more of kind of a Swiss Army knife guy you can plot wherever, like fill some gaps when they want to go small. He's the key to doing that. But he's come on to be their second most important player, third most important player on this team. I wasn't expecting that. Um, What are your impressions of Bridges so far? Well, for both last season and this season, he's guarding the best perimeter player every night. And now he's also putting up 30s on top of that. He's also... I think the the evolution of his game is he's just turned into like a put his head down and drive kind of player where he is so physical, so aggressive, able to put so many smaller players in the basket that when you have that balanced with the kind of shooter shooter he is now, that's just a tremendous supporting piece for them to play with and move around the floor, especially when he's not locked into he has to be in this spot. He has to be a perimeter player. He needs to be on the block. Like, Miles Bridges can be all things to all people right now, and that's an exciting place to be as, as a franchise. But what's really cool about what Charlotte is doing is the way he and LaMelo Ball work together in the pick and roll when Bridges screens for Ball, it just gives them two really good angles to attack switches because Ball is shooting from further and further out with every passing game, getting bolder and bolder with his three-point <laughs> attempts and making pretty much half of them right now. Yeah. Bridges, on the other hand, and we saw, I think we saw this most starkly against the Celtics and Dennis Schroeder. He is just brutal against opposing point guards, just totally bodies them, can get whatever he wants against them. If you can have that kind of big who has the off the dribble game that Bridges does and can kind of selectively attack mismatches, that's what you were talking about. This swing piece that can elevate lineups, that can change what they do strategically, that just gives them so much more flexibility in how they attack in the half court. Yeah. Do you think this, the scoring is real? Because to, to fit our theme, we are trying to figure out which, which of these trends is, is going to continue on. And uh, over his last three games, 30, 32, and 25, which <laughs> I don't know if anyone saw that coming over a three-game stretch for him. That might be a little bit much. But if you told me that at season's end, he was still Charlotte's leading scorer, mm. I, think that's, I think that's possible. I think that's in the cards. If, if he continues to play this way, uh, again, it, it just if he is this much of a downhill threat for them in, in kind of standstill half-court situations, that gives him a lot of things he can play with, a lot of different elements of his game uh, to, to balance and, and wield against defenders. I think, I think that is a possibility. Are they a playoff team if he is their best scorer, if he is their highest scorer? I think it depends somewhat on health. Like Gordon Hayward has to play a lot of games this season or be managed... Like there's some talk that they were going to load manage him a little bit this season to make sure he's healthy in the end. If they can do that, if <laughs> what Gordon a gig Hayward for is for this guy, <laughs> Just look, up I, for I, half I the won't games. stand for this. Gordon Hayward is really good. Uh, he is good. 
But if they can have all three of those guys and a good chunk of their supporting cast, they feel like a playoff team to me, or, or at, at minimum, a really competitive play-in team. Yeah. Jerry Rozier hasn't really been available. He's been hurt. Um, yeah. I would I would expect him to finish as the leading scorer just because like he'll have 40 points on a random Friday night against the Detroit Pistons, and you'll be like, oh, Jerry Rozier, he's, he's so good. Um, what do you think about this team overall, though? Do you think like, playoffs like even avoiding the play in altogether is in the cards um i'm still a little bit more mixed but i'm curious where you are that's kind of where they need to target and some of it has less to do with oh it would be great to be fifth place than it is like we need to dodge if at all possible these teams at the top of the east like if you can somehow get into a point where you're not playing the nets or the bucks all of a sudden, the Hornets are a team that is not fun to play against, is going to run you up and down the floor. You're putting a lot at stake with like LaMelo Ball not going seven for seven from three on a given night, which as we've seen, he can do. I would not want to be in that business of, of playing against the Hornets in that kind of situation if I was one of these middle-tier Eastern Conference teams. That said, yeah. if they make it into the bracket and they're playing against the Bucks or the Nets, I mean, I'll bet that's, that's game over for them. Right, right. I've been surprised by how their depth has is, is really shown itself to be pretty solid because I was obviously a huge Ish Smith fan. How are you not a fan of that guy? I was a little bit more mixed on Kelly Oubre um, yep. and I'm still probably in that zone long-term, but just having just a deep bench of athletes who could run up and down the floor, uh, PJ Washington effectively making him the backup five. Mason Plumley has been able to run up and down with these guys. I don't love that contract and still wonder if they could upgrade a little bit more there, but like, it fits. Everything just seems to be of a piece. And what they're trying to do is just to jam it down your throat, to be running all the time, to yep. be fun, exciting. And I think that's like over the course of a now 82 game season, I think that's going to carry them pretty far. Like they have a zip and like just like a pep in their step that like a team like, I don't know, for example, the Nets who like on a Sunday afternoon game, like just don't have because they're just trying to make it to the playoffs and get over with the regular season. Well, we've seen it. I mean, they just beat the Nets with exactly right, that right. kind of formula. And we have also haven't seen anything from James Booknight or Kai Jones. They're two rookies yet who, I mean, I don't know if they'll play at all at any point this season, but if there's any kind of injury, if there's any kind of opening, they could be interesting elements there. Another dynamic guard off the dribble who can score and a potential rim protector that they kind of need. I mean, their defense works when they're creating lots of steals and wreaking havoc on the perimeter. It does not work when anyone is getting to Mason Plumley at the rim. That's not really where they're where they're thriving right now. Sure. Real uh Big 12 like run and shoot sort of team and I'm here for it. Like old school Michael Beasley Kansas State things going on here. <laughs> Right. Or the Michael Beasley heat, I guess, uh, yep. when all they would do was score 90 points and then give up 110. Um, speaking of running and gunning team, let's talk about the Chicago Bulls. They are 4-0, and I believe, the only team that is still undefeated in the East, uh, heading into a matchup on Thursday with the New York Knickerbockers. The Knicks and the Bulls are back, baby. Rob, does this bring back uh, just, just gleeful memories from your youth? <laughs> Like like Kirk Heinrich memories? Is that what you're going for? Wow. No uh, no Knicks Bulls and uh, as a toddler? Yeah, I think it was a little before my time, all things considered. But you know, we can we can reminisce and sure have you know have warm and fuzzy feelings about it, I guess. Okay. Um, well, they're back and uh, it's it's great to say. Do you think what the Bulls have done over their uh, first four games is repeatable? Do you think that long term this is the type of team we're going to get from them. 
I think this is the type of team. I think their success within that type is going to waver pretty significantly from night to night, especially as you mentioned. This is not a team that's going to be winning long-term with defense over 82 games, I wouldn't imagine. Uh, Their half-court offense is already pretty solid. Their transition offense is already very impressive. So if they can just kind of hang around defensively, if they can be like pretty competent, pretty decent, then I think this is going to be a really good team. And they actually have a similar formula defensively to what we were just talking about with the Hornets, where, you know, Lonzo and Alex Caruso, I mean, Caruso is just putting up like heist level steal numbers right now. They are just an absolute feeding frenzy on the perimeter. And when you have that to kind of compensate for some of the softer middle interior defense that they have going on, Maybe there's enough there to, at least in the regular season, just catch teams blind and start picking their pockets, jumping their passes, all that good stuff. You know, you have some role players chipping in in that capacity too. Like Javante Green, I think, has been kind of kind of important for them flying around and having kind of an athletic presence as a, as a swing forward type. So they have enough of these complementary, supplementary role players filling these gaps right now that it can kind of work, but they still feel pretty shallow. I, we'll have to see what happens with Zach Levine and, and his hand injury in his offhand right now, which uh, we haven't seen the results of how that's going to bear out on the floor just yet, but so far he's been pretty good. Um, Maybe it'll all click in the end. I'm still bullish on, sorry, uh, the (laughs) fit of all the offensive pieces there. I just don't know what to make of the defense and if like this is a flash in the pan or if this is something that can last. Yeah, it's been fun to start with. Like It's been fun, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been pretty fun. I mean, Lonzo Ball is a nightly highlight and anytime he gets in like in transition with Caruso, something good is going to come from it. Um I, I have been encouraged by what Ball is doing, not to again to bang on the Pelicans, but I still don't understand why they couldn't use this exact player, especially with Zion out. It just seems like he's the perfect guy to just slot around guys who who need the ball. Um shooting has looked good. His defense has looked good. I, I'm kind of like like you. I, I think a lot of it's going to come down to what they could do on the defensive end, and I think it's still a TBD. So just just to recap here, their wins so far have been over Detroit twice, New Orleans once, and Toronto. Uh, the their next schedule is a murderer's row. Uh, like I, I I don't know any team that has to go through this sort of gauntlet right in a row. Uh, they have the Knicks, Jazz, Celtics, Philly twice, Brooklyn, Dallas, Golden State, Clippers, Lakers, Portland, and Denver. Like there's not an easy game on that schedule for about a month or two. Um, so I guess we'll find out what type of team they really are, but I would say so far it's encouraging, you know, absolutely. Yeah. They're winning the games that they're supposed to win, which is like something you couldn't say about them last year. Yeah. And and you can be a really good team in the NBA just by doing that. Like that'll get you to the playoffs. That'll get you to a middle seed potentially. If you just win the games you're supposed to win. And that's where having all of these guys who are really high floor players can pay off for you. Now, what does it mean that? You know, they've really been playing pretty small to close a lot of games. You know, basically running DeRozan at the four. What is that going to mean against this caliber of competition they're about to run up against? We'll have to wait and see, especially defensively. Uh, but there's there's a good amount of dynamism there, and there's a good amount of balance in terms of guys who need the ball and guys who don't. I still like the overall formula as a thing to watch on TV, as a basketball <laughs> experiment, as a, a, you know, plausibly competitive team. It's checking all those boxes for me. I just, you know, the Bulls are back to being somewhat relevant in our lives back to contention uh, mm. you know not yet uh yeah let's see what happens when they go up against the Toppin Gibson front court yeah talk to me <laughs> after they best them my friends um 
but yeah, no, it's 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 mildly encouraging. I feel more encouraged than I was going into the season about the Bulls. They just have stuff. Stuff yeah. tends to win games, right? I mean, you didn't even know about Io Jasumu coming into the season, right? I don't even know who that is still. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's keep it moving. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Last team on our list. Uh, if we had the running and gun in Chicago Bulls, I have down here the fast walking and pop gun and calves who are mediocre, my friend. They are average and they are loving it. Um, I think a lot of people expected this team to fall flat on their face, but this team is pretty interesting. I mean, I guess you could take that one word or another, but like, you know, Evan Mobley seems legitimately like a star in the making and they've had a lot of recent lottery picks. And so they're super talented. And I think that's kind of borne out over the first four games now. Um, what have you seen for the Cavs so far? That pretty interesting you just said sounded like an insult. I don't like it. Um, It's mildly insulting. I think there's a lot of Rubio going on with this team. And I think you say it like it's a bad thing. Yeah, I think... You saw it with the Suns in that he is a floor raiser, but if you're counting on him to be like your go-to guy in some of these games, I think that's a bad sign, especially because they have so much invested in their backcourt with Garland and Sexton and Okoro. And as we've seen of late, like it's, Sexton sometimes hasn't started. I think he didn't start the first game, but it has since. Uh, Garland has been hurt, and Okoro is currently being benched in favor of Laurie Markkinen as their three. So it's just like it's a little it's a little much right now. Can we talk about the marketing thing? Like it yes. It kind of works. I called mark? this by the way. I Did said you? going into this season I was like they're going to put marketing at the 3 just because they need shooting. They don't have a traditional 3 or Coro's too small. Oh, I thought you were going to say you called them being pretty okay with them at the 3. No, no. I I expected them to be a train wreck with that lineup, but I yeah, you're right. I guess it's fine. Yeah, I mean in the starting combinations it works. When yes. you start working in the bench, guys, <laughs> it very quickly does not. Um, and that probably says more about the bench than it is about Markkanen. And, and really, to get to the heart of it, they got to get Kevin Love up out of here. Because I think that resolves a lot of the rotation issues in terms of putting Markkanen in his natural position. Kevin Love is frankly a guy who, in a lot of these games, if you never knew he was a star and you tuned in, you would think he <laughs> absolutely never had any of that in him. Just kind of yeah. like a workaday big man right now. He's like Kyle uh, which, Korver. He's just like, oh, they have Kyle Korver. <laughs> that's, that's where he is this season. Just out there repping out from three. But, I mean, yeah. bless him. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, man. Uh, I have no sympathy for Kevin Love because he did this to himself. He signed the extension. He wanted the money, and the Cavs wanted to give it to him just to make a big show of things. And, like, this is what you get when you sign long-term with the Cavs. I assume he'll end up on a different team by the end of the season. You know, like, he's probably going to be a Laker by the trade deadline. If only like via buyout. I know that like his agent was like really holding his ground there, but like do the Cavs really need this guy lingering around as they're trying to turn the page and like invest in this youth movement. I, I don't know, man. Well, no, but I just don't think he's getting bought out. I think, I think we're gonna have to play a longer game than that. Unfortunately. Yeah, I don't know. It, it worked with Blake Griffin. Like the Pistons are still paying him a handsome sum. I could see them doing the same thing with with Love. Um, but about the Cavs overall, like, what are you most encouraged by uh, outside of maybe these Markin and Bizarro small forward minutes? Well, we haven't talked about the single most important thing, which is Jared Allen. Not Jared Allen. I mean, <laughs> Jared Allen's been Jared Allen, as you would expect, but. Yeah. I would say a person's unreasonable excitement about Evan Mobley is directly proportional to how much Cavaliers basketball they've consumed <laughs> in the last week. Sure. Uh, 
he is the best kind of young player as as a as a consumer as a viewer of the game because he's one who doesn't move like anybody else like very distinctive very fluid very interesting in terms of what his long-term potential could be great instincts as a shot blocker as a as a contester of shots man he like this guy it, it, to the extent you can see defensive player of the year type potential in a rookie in his first couple games in the NBA, Evan Mobley has it. Take from that what you will. Right. Yeah. I've, I've already heard some Kevin Durant comps being thrown around here. What? Um, yeah. I don't know, man. Um, but I mean, I think Charks called this. Like he had been saying this leading up into the draft. And like even as uh, we were, I was editing one of his, his pieces on the Cavs and like, his contention basically is like the Anthony Davis Giannis types are now like the, the model for the player. That's the queen on the chessboard, right? It's just so impossible to match up with these guys. And Mobley is probably the closest example we've seen since that paradigm has kind of been established. Um, I mean, I don't really know a ton about him, but when he plays, like he, he seems like he could fill a bunch of holes. And on a team like this, where it's where it's so hard to fill holes that you're playing effectively a stretch five as your three, uh, like that's impressive. He's he's definitely been impressive so far. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be the queen on the chessboard when you have to make up for all the other pieces not doing their job, which is kind of what he's doing right now sometimes. He's the uh, queen whenever, on the chessboard when there's like just a bunch of checkers and like Tyco <laughs> trucks also on the floor. A yeah. couple backgammon pieces out there, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but overall, I think, you know, to his credit and to a lot of these rookies' credit, this is turning out to be a pretty interesting class of first-year players. And we haven't even seen Kate Cunningham yet. Like right. Jalen Green looks pretty much on schedule, like regularly does star-level stuff for a rookie guard, which is exciting. Scotty Barnes is obviously capturing the heart of two nations, really. <laughs> uh, you know, we are we already got in our Josh Giddy obligatory Josh Giddy mention. Um, but even you have like guys like Franz Wagner and D- Davion Mitchell who are like finding roles and doing interesting stuff. Um, I'm I'm very excited to see Davion Mitchell all season long getting clips pulled of him locking up dudes defensively. Uh, and, and Mobley is a part of that brigade as a guy who's just eminently watchable, really interesting prospect, a guy who could change the future of what the Cavs are, frankly. Right. Are you high on any of these other guys that the, the Cavs are kind of investing here? Like, are you a Garland believer? He's gotten a lot of preseason hype as someone who can maybe turn the corner there. I'm a mild Garland believer. Um, I liked what I saw out of Isaac Okoro last season in terms of his defensive potential. Offensively, he's got a long way to go. Uh, but a natural athlete who took some pretty tough assignments and I think took them in stride. So I'm probably more along those, like those guys and Mobley are probably kind of my higher end. Sexton, I think, is fine. He's a guy who I ultimately have a hard time kind of placing within a high-functioning NBA offense. I think he's a guy who can put up a lot of points and probably will for a long time, but maybe destined and doomed to do that for lesser teams, potentially. We'll have to wait and see kind of what his his ultimate destiny is as a player. But I think there's, there's enough here to feel mildly optimistic, and that's different than pre-Mopley, which was like, we have this glut of players. They don't quite fit. What is this going to look like? Mobley contextualizes a lot of that. And it, it's the power that having a two-way big can have. A guy who could be as flexible as him, as versatile as him, who isn't as locked into being a rim runner as someone like Jared Allen is potentially. I'm I'm really kind of reconsidering how I think about the Cavs in their future based on what we've seen from Mobley so far, which I realize that's probably crazy after three or four games, but... What is the beginning of the regular season for, if not a little bit of craziness? Right. I appreciate that. Um, well, 
do you think Mobley could ultimately be the best player in this draft? Is that like, yeah, in play? absolutely, yeah, okay, yeah. he definitely could. Uh, but again, haven't seen Cade yet. Jalen Green has such a long runway into being very good. I don't want to, you know, make any final pronouncements just yet. But Mobley is in that class, in that conversation of guys who could potentially lead this draft class. No, without a doubt in my mind. It would be pretty crazy if we've had back-to-back years where the third pick ultimately became the the best player. And it really, like, I, I think the unfortunate takeaway, if, if we're uh, we're saying about the Cavs, is, is like, if you're going to be bad, just, like, keep being bad until you land an absolute superstar. Because, like, a team like the Magic maybe pulled up one year and was like, oh, let's let's just grind our way into the, the eighth seed. And this is where they are back in this cycle for... It, we're getting close to a decade now, honestly. Um, whereas the Cavs were just like, oh, Sexton's fine. Garland, okay, maybe has some upside. Mobley, there we go. And and it seems like their fate is different as a result of it. Real Sam Hinkie vibes from you today. <laughs> All about more bites at the apple. He would know, man. He's doing like history projects his entire life about like what succeeds in the NBA just for fun. And uh, he was right. Everybody um, needs a hobby. It's true. And this... This isn't our hobby, man. This is our job, and it is done for the day. We're going to punch our clocks. Uh, that's it for us. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely on the ones and the twos. Thank you to Bing Bong Rob. Uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully with a healthy and hearty big waz in the toe. Uh, we'll see you next week.